I think trust is something that takes time to build. And you need to meet people one time, two times, three times, ten times to see each other every day. And you start to build kind of connection of proximity, of friendship, and very slowly like to really build trust. And yeah, if you have something to offer, even small, you voice it and people start to yeah, start to invite you. Well, at least they started to invite me into their work. It reminds me of a very famous quote. <laughs> Ask for what you need and offer what you can. <laughs> Which is your favorite quote, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's my favorite quote. Yeah, but it's true. To really, yeah, to offer whatever you have to offer, but also to not to be afraid to say, hey, I have time, I have energy. I love your project. I think that you're someone that I appreciate to work with. So yeah, I would like to do this more. I think not to be afraid of actually saying this. And sometimes it doesn't end up with anything. And sometimes it's, once again, the right timing, the right person, the right project, and something can come out of it. Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will be meeting Anne-Laure, who is, in my opinion, one of the best facilitators in France, who really wants to help citizens connect with their own power of action. Anne-Laure shares with us how, early on, she took a path which was not meant for her, and how she had to reinvent herself once she realized this. From that moment, she promised herself to support as many people as possible to take a path that they built for themselves. We speak about facilitation, participative leadership, and the importance to create a safe space and encourage meaningful conversations in your organization. Hi, Anne-Laure. Hi. I'm so happy to have you in Lifeline. So yeah, for the context, I'm calling, I'm calling, I'm not calling, I'm, I'm interviewing Anna or Anne-Laure, you can call her Anna, it's easier, in El Capitan. Uh, co-living space in the countryside of France where she's actually living right now close to the co-living space so yeah we are in the middle of the countryside it's so beautiful everywhere but anyway I'm so happy to have Anna for the story we met in Hanoi Vietnam uh, we had so much fun there and yeah now she's becoming super famous everywhere she's going impacting a lot of projects so yeah Anna you are doing so many things <laughs> nowadays <laughs> So yeah, I'm looking forward to hear, like, uh, yeah, if you can introduce yourself, where you come from, and what you are doing right now. All right. My name is Anne-Laure, but most people call me Anna. I'm French. I'm 31. I grew up in Paris, and I had the chance to go to Vietnam for a couple of years for work. First for work, and then for quitting my job and launching, yeah, projects uh, that's kind of inspired, like, the rest of, of my work afterwards. And now I'm um, I'm fully based in the countryside in France, in a very small city with like 200 inhabitants. I just moved there three months ago. Cool. And yeah, how would you summarize your current activities? Um, I would say that I, I mostly work 
I am like the term I use is facilitation. So I have, I work mainly helping group of people to find a way forward. So for me, it means it can be young people. Um, no, so okay, I need to frame it differently. <laughs> yeah. So the, I think what I'm doing is mostly yeah group facilitation. So helping groups of people to move forward. I specialize in the subject of citizen mobilization, so empowering young people to launch a campaign of mobilization and hoping for things in society to change, and also everything that has to do with finding your own path in life, so facilitating kind of process so that young people know more about themselves and learn to discover who they really are and how to, yeah, how to be constantly adapting in life and uh, reinventing yourself. So that's the two areas I'm, I'm working with. So about helping people to find like their purpose of life and about helping people to... about helping citizens to create movements. Why are you interested in these two topics? For me, like the common roots is everything that has to do with empowerment. So how do you reconnect anyone with his or her own power of action? So for young people, it can be, okay, I actually have the power to decide of my own life. For citizens, it can be, okay, as a group, we have the power to make something change. Or as any group, organization, team, and so on, it's okay together. We actually have the power of moving our organization forward or doing things differently or changing the way we are doing things. So for me, it's like what is at the root of everything is really empowerment, individual and, and collective. Mm, I think it's great. I've never heard a definition of empowerment <laughs> like this. So I really like it. So would you say that you managed to connect to your own power already? If if I did already? Yeah. I think I I think it took me time. <laughs> But yes, I think I did. I think I, for me, I discovered this when um, I think at the individual level, when I was in, in Hanoi, when I was living there. I did just a small couple of workshops with a community that were called Nomads, Nomads Hanoi. And it's really when I, it really went to my face that I didn't have to follow a path that was written for me. And actually I was, uh, um, yeah, I had the choice to choose a different path. And it really took me time, but it's really when I realized that I had this choice that it changed a lot for me in my, in my head because I had never questioned the fact that I had to follow a specific path because it was... Yeah, what I had been told to, to do. And when I discovered that there were like tons of other possibilities, yeah, it really changed me from, from the inside. So at the individual level, I think I connected to that back in, in Hanoi. And I think at the collective, I think it's really experiencing thanks to some, at some very specific moments or meetings or time with a team to really experience that together. If we are yeah, really listening to each other and working towards the same purpose, we can actually manage to do things we would never have thought we were able to do. And I also experienced this, I started to experience this when we were working uh, in Vietnam, and now it's really the kind of thing I'm trying to recreate for as many teams as possible. Mm, so I see that, yeah, there's basically a before and after Hanoi, so <laughs> that's great. Yeah, would you like to share about? What is this path that you have taken, which was given to you, but you didn't choose until Hanoi? Yeah, so I, um, so I, in France, I went to high school and uh, kind of university, and then I did a uh, business school. 
so one of the top business school in France and I really never questioned why I was doing that I was doing that because I was good at school so if you are good at school you should be doing a business school at least in my understanding or in my parents understanding and then yeah once I graduated I was like okay I need a good company and a good position in Paris which I managed to find and uh Yeah, I was finding myself very grateful because it was 2012, like a bit of crisis, and I was so happy that I had a job, a flat, everything was perfect. So yeah, I was just following this path. But yeah, somehow I think I was quite unhappy, but I didn't really know why. I was, I know I just didn't like the organization. I was not feeling, it's not that I didn't like it, it's just I was feeling that I did not belong really there, or that there was something really strange going on. I could not really understand why we were doing things this way and I could not really understand like the how we were working. So like the fact that it was very hierarchical and yeah, not very healthy way of working. And also the purpose of the company was really not speaking to me anymore. So yeah, I was kind of kind of lost of why I was doing what I was doing. And why do you think you never had time or never had the opportunity to question this path? Hmm. Because I think I was, I didn't have really the tools for it and I didn't have the, the inspiration. So I think at that time, it was a time where the whole subject of social entrepreneurship and finding your own path in life, it was not something that is as popular as it is now. And yeah, I think back then I was questioning myself But there was there were enough. I, I didn't know anyone to have conversation with about these matters. I didn't know any community, any person I could talk with about this, and that would say, "Oh yeah, I feel the same," and "Oh, we all feel the same," and let's move forward. And so yeah, I was. I think I was really missing the inspiration of something else is possible. So like people to talk about this with, and also people to look up to, that would have chosen a different path. And also, I think it's. Uh, maybe it was not proactive enough, but also because it was uh, not so popular yet, all these topics and questions and communities. And also, I didn't have the tools to question myself. I didn't know what does that mean to question yourself and yeah, and to know yourself. Yeah, because you, you don't know what you don't know. So exactly. like you're just <laughs> following the path and you're like, if there's no clue or anything, yeah. you cannot, yeah, you cannot invent questioning yeah. yourself. So like, so you arrived in Hanoi. And um, could you, so you mentioned you started to reconnect with your power and realizing that, okay, I don't feel aligned with what I'm doing. I don't feel aligned with the type of structures, uh, like hierarchy structure of the company. Um, so did you, like the workshop you mentioned, did you have a sort of, you know, like, Uh, aha moment or how did it happen yeah I think it's a bit uh, I think it's kind of cliche but yeah I think I had a aha moment and I think it's just because it, for me it came really at the right time I knew I could feel in myself that I was not aligned with what I was doing I had no clue what else to do but I know I was not aligned and I didn't know how to move forward and what I got of this workshop is just a really good time and frame to think about it. So for me, it was really the fact to be like, for instance, for a whole weekend with a group of people and having time and a kind of a safe space to sit down with a group of other people and to really think about yeah, what brought you here, 
Yeah. What do you like? What you don't like? What are your values? What are your strengths? What are your dreams? What did you used to dream of? And what did you lost in the way? And all these questions, I think I never took time to ask them to myself. First, taking this time and also being able to speak it up too, because you can think about it in your head. But when you are in conversation with two or three other people about this and you start to voicing it, it becomes real. And yeah, I think it's a path when there is no, no way back when you start to speak it. So yeah, for me, it was kind of a haha moment, as you say, because after one weekend and there was a second weekend right after, I knew, so I didn't know where I was going, but I knew that something was going to change, that I had moved forward and that I had uh, strength and inspiration to do something differently. Even if I didn't know what exactly, I knew something had shifted. So now you are in the position where you know that like you hate your job, <laughs> basically, <laughs> and that you don't feel aligned and you want to do something else, but you don't know what. So how, how do you feel in this situation and what did you do? So I think it's kind of, it can be a bit overwhelming because then it opens many, many possibilities. And for me, what I did was just trying to find where I can start to contribute to something that really matters to me. And for me, it was kind of easy. I started to volunteer for this organization, actually just to help them because I had like kind of business skills. So I could just bring this to them to help them on this side and just yeah, contributing. And uh, but not only on this, I'm just also showing up and participating on whatever events they were doing and trying. Yeah, just trying to contribute and to see. And it's really what I could notice in me. I could notice how nourishing it was for me and it was really good hint that I was in the good direction yeah and uh, so how long did this transformation happen <laughs> <laughs> how long did it took I don't know so I don't know the starting point because I guess for me the starting mm. point was obviously before I moved to, to Hanoi but I think it took me um, yeah a couple of months to take the decision to, to quit my job and I quit basically I did this first workshop in January and I quit my job in June so it's yeah took six months to say okay I'm really going to quit and then I don't know what I will do but I will do something else <laughs> so what did you do <laughs> <laughs> so at that time I was so I, I decided to step up and um, and start working for this organization because many people that were holding the organization the nomads organization they were leaving the country so I teamed up with two Vietnamese people that also wanted to move forward with the organization. And the three of us, we decided to launch it again. And so to start hosting programs for young people that were asking themselves questions about who they were and what impact they wanted to have in the world. And so we relaunched the organization together. So it was one, one big part of, of my work was yeah, basically um, designing and hosting programs for young people and also paying a lot of attention to the way we were working together so that our values were really reflecting in the organization we were we were building when you say really paying attention to how you work together what does that mean concretely um so for me like one thing that was really important was the fact that i didn't want to recreate the kind of work environment i had just left And I really wanted to, to try to work in an environment when I could be, or where we could be truly ourselves, first of all. And second, to stay always 
very flexible and adaptive to whatever was going to happen because we didn't want to have business plans and 10 years plans. We really wanted to see what was emerging of what we are doing. So there was these two things of being able to be really ourselves and taking care of ourselves and also uh, staying always adaptive. And for that, we were trying to have a lot of kind of small practices, like values, principles, but also practices, daily practices that could help us to, to implement this. For example? So one, one of our practices was, so every morning uh, we would start our day with a kind of check-in. So we were we would sit in circles. Then we were like the four of us, three or four of us, it depends. And we would all check in with how we are doing and yeah, just what is alive in, in us right now. And so it means that every day we were able to know exactly what to share or we are and also to hear all the others are. So it's kind of shift every day the way you interact with others. And there is so that was one thing and we will also like end the day with a checkout. So asking like oh how was our day, what did we like, or how we are living this day. And just for instance it's it's an example, but this kind of practices it's really helped us to grow something very strong between us, even if we were coming from very different cultures and backgrounds. And so I think it really helped to create this kind of connection. And how did you find out about all these practices and tools? Because you came from this corporate world. So how did you know about checking? Like how, how, yeah, how did, because you were trying to implement all these practices, yeah. but how do you know them? So uh, I really did not dis discover them by myself. So for us in, in Vietnam, it comes from a kind of network that is called the Art of Hosting Conversation That Matters. We call this Art of Hosting in short. It's a kind of an, a network of people that have uh, been working with groups for um, something like 25, 20 years, 25 years, and that have implemented lots of different practices that can help groups to really move forward in a meaningful way and to help groups to have conversation because we say meetings, but it's mostly conversation and to have like meaningful conversation that helps them to really move forward together. So all these practices, um, so it's, it's a network that have developed these practices and it's also a mindset. And it's really, so we were lucky enough to have one of these seminars that were uh, like a seminar to discover these practices that were organized in Vietnam. So it was organized by us because we wanted, we kind of wanted to be self-trained to this. So we organized a seminar so that some people that were really, yeah, really skilled and really uh, like wise uh, in this kind of practice could come to Hanoi and train us to that. And we are really inspired by this kind of practices. And then we, we didn't want to do like one seminar and then never use it again. So we really tried to implement all this in our daily, daily practices. So for us, it's not only check-in and check-out, but it's also in the way we deal with money, for instance, or the way we deal with conflict, or the way we, we decide on which project we're going or we're not going. So like at every piece of our work, we're trying to implement the practices of art of hosting. And why do you think all these practices are important in an organization? Hmm. So... In my experience, one of the biggest problems I saw in the organization I, I was working with at first, in the corporate world, yeah, I think people don't know how to have conversations anymore. There are lots of, first of all, people don't really know why they are doing what they're doing. So there is a kind of disconnection with the purpose of 
like why the company is doing this and why they in the company are doing what they are doing. So there is this kind of d disconnection that makes everything anyway like very fragile because no one knows like the purpose or why 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 we are doing this. So the energy people are bringing in the company cannot be really strong usually. So this is one thing. And the second thing is in the way people just have meetings together. So for me, like meetings, it's a real, uh, it's kind of the, you know, the window of a company. Like, you know, if you see a meeting, you can say so many things about the culture of a company. So for me, it's a, really the window into the culture of a company. And what I've been seeing in meetings for me, it's really, yeah, people not knowing how to have conversation. Like you don't know, like, why are we having this meeting? What is the real question that is in the middle? What do we really want to take out of it? And also what are, what are the rules, uh, the principles to speak, or to take notes, or to harvest what is from this meeting, or to really listen to each other? I think all this, at least in my experience, I was in meetings where we didn't know why we were here. No one was listening to each other. Uh, people were not speaking to the purpose. They were speaking to satisfy their their own ego, for instance, or to to protect their own their own their own work, or to to protect um, yeah for whatever reason I don't know. But for me, and I, I was seeing this, and I think it really takes all the meaning out of your life, basically, to be in such environment. And what I've seen that work is to, first of all, to reconnect people with the purpose of what they are doing in general and also, like, what they are doing in this meeting. Like, why is this meeting important? Why? Like, what's the need of this project? What's the need of this meeting? And it's something that it seems very basic, but I think many, many people are disconnected from that. And for me, like, to really consciously always remind yourself of this on a daily basis and in each meeting you go, yeah, it brings this energy of the why, of the need that you're serving and then to actually have principle on how to have conversation. And I think it's a skill that we used to have uh, that is very, very old skill. Like people were gathering around the fire uh, like since millennia. Uh, and we kind of lost that, you know, to sit around the fire and to all speak to the center and to listen to each other. And at the end, to have shared clarity. I think it's something that is so basic And we lost it. And that's what's actually the, the art of hosting conversation that matter is trying to reproduce, to say, okay, it's something that we used to do. And so now, like, instead of a fire, maybe we have a question in the middle of the table. And what are the practices that would help us to really listen to each other, to hear everyone's voice, and to take all this into account to see, okay, what is the next step? Or what is the outcome of this meeting? Or what is the outcome of this conversation? And... It's nothing so technical. It's more about really learning how to, yeah, how to listen with attention, people that are speaking, and also speak with a real intention of contributing to what's in the middle. And, and it's a really deep practice. It seems easy, but it's really hard. <laughs> Why do you say it's hard? Hmm. I think it's hard just because... Yeah, we are human beings. So when you sit in a meeting or in a conversation, you know, there is so much thing going on in your head, in your health. You're like, okay, uh, I want to say this because I want to, like, yeah, so many emotions. And to be able to, um, yeah, just to connect to, like, the other person that is speaking. Say, okay, why, why is she or he saying this? Why does that matter? Or can I really listen to, like, and what can I answer uh, that will be relevant? Uh, to the 
the purpose of the meeting because it's yeah not trying to go somewhere else not talking about yourself not ta talking to satisfy your ego but to really stay focused on the purpose and that's why I really insist on that if the purpose is strong the conversation will remain easily focused on it if it's not usually it will go anywhere and then everyone is lost and no one <laughs> dare to say it <laughs> uh, and that's also why we work in the in the heart of hosting we always we try to work with someone that is a host of a conversation And the host of the conversation is the one, or conversation or meeting, is the one that really put clear like the purpose of the meeting in the middle. And also that is able to, to name the fact that sometimes the conversation is shifting away and sometimes it's for good reason, but sometimes it's just going very, very far away. And the host of a conversation is just saying, okay, no, we need to like, I'm just noticing that the conversation has shifted. Are we shifting the whole meeting or just do we need to bring back the conversation to what's to the purpose that is in the middle and that's the role of a host of a conversation mm, I see so yeah like it, it does sound easy but I guess you need a lot of practice and a lot of knowledge and tools to be able to really implement that and, and practice mm -hmm. that every day um, so yeah so Art of Hosting one was one of the project of Nomad Hanoi do you remember the first program or workshop that you organized the first program I organized Uh, huh? Yeah, I think so. I'm trying to reconnect to this to this first workshop. <laughs> I was, uh, no, I think I think the, the one of the first workshop we organized together with like my two uh, colleagues of the time. It was something that we launched actually in Hanoi that was called Conversation for the Soul. So we are doing programs usually on the weekend, but also on the weekday we wanted to have conversations where we invited the community anyone that wanted to come and we were hosting a conversation of two to three hours with a group of usually 20 people about any topic that we were finding relevant and I think the first one we organized was called like the gap between us and it was a conversation about why is it so difficult to connect with our parents because it was a subject that was really uh, burning in, in Vietnam, at least, well, maybe <laughs> anywhere in the world. <laughs> But we knew in our community it was a subject that was burning in Vietnam and also for, for our community and also for us. And so we, we organized a kind of workshop or a, a conversation uh, so that people could come and talk about it in a meaningful way for an evening. So, yeah, I think that was my first workshop, I think. But, yeah, <laughs> I think I forgot <laughs> it was the first one. But, yeah, it's the one I remember. And the like participants are they you know all coming from you know, corporate background and they were disappointed or what was the kind of people who joined? It was very diverse actually in our community in general in, in Nomad. It was there was mostly young people I would say between like 18 to 25 and also a few kind of grown up. Uh, there was a few. Uh, foreigner that could be like 30 or 40 years old that was just really intrigued and also looking for yeah just meaningful things to do in Hanoi so it was there was kind of this diversity that was always really interesting but also it was for the Vietnamese community it was obviously an English speaking community so it was very kind of yeah specific also group of people uh, it was maybe not mainstream but yeah we're doing our workshops in English and I think half was from maybe some kind of corporate world or like yeah, normal world. I don't know if what's normal. And a good part were from university and actually studying and starting to question themselves about life and future. And 
And like, so how long did you stay in total in Nomads? Uh, I think two years. Yeah, lasted for two years, this, this adventure. <laughs> And did you achieve what you wanted to achieve? Huh. So I, I don't know what I wanted to achieve. So <laughs> I think, I think personally, I had like a lot of intention. I really wanted this organization to to go on because for me it brought a lot to me, and I wanted to be able to brought a lot to others. And so for this, I think I did because I know like we hosted a few programs, and as I was saying, like also many workshops. And yeah, we know or we heard that it had a real impact on many people that joined. So yeah, on that side, I think I'm happy that uh, it was worth it. Yeah, I think it changed the life of a few people and also it just made a positive impact in, in the life of many, many that joined our, our programs. Yeah, I mean, I joined my <laughs> myself programs and yeah, I think it's one of the best workshops I've ever attended. And yeah, I'm sure that nomads impacted a lot of people and yeah i want to ask you in return what how did nomad impact you mm. while you were trying to impact other people yeah so i think that's yeah for me that was kind of the second side of so i wanted to have an impact on others but i also wanted i i think somehow i yeah nomads was also for me a way to do my own transition to another world so basically to transition from the corporate world to something else and for me nomads was really like the the bridge to that so for me for instance f first of all it, it brought me this practice of hosting conversations and to hosting like um yeah it brought me the practice of being able to gather a group of people and to be able to imagine some processes so that they will be able to have conversations and to leave the room two hours or three hours later with something that have shifted in them, even if very small, but at least to have recreating. So I I discover how it is possible to do that. So for me, it's obviously changed everything <laughs> because now it's something I'm trying to... I've been uh, using this kind of magic since then in all my work and also in all... So in the work that is specifically that I'm specifically doing with young people, but also just in the way I'm having meetings on the way I work with others. And so that's in terms of the practice that it brought me. And and I think it's brought me kind of confidence that, yeah, <laughs> basically anything can happen. <laughs> and it's always all right, I think. Uh, I would never have imagined that my life would turn out this way. When I quit my job, I knew we will try with like my two colleagues to start Nomads again, but I had no clue if it will last two weeks, two months, two years. And also it was always very fragile. And what I experienced in this in these two years working there is that yeah, the right people always showed up at the right time when it was needed. Like the the, the resources always came when they were needed. What I mean by resources what it was either people or fundings or new ideas inside books, things that could help us, new practices. Everything kind of always flow for two years and it's really a time when I used to be very very scared I think when I used to be in my own corporate world because you're always trying to follow the path and stick to the plan and there is a plan and it really have to you really have to unfold according to the plan because otherwise you're going to be in trouble and to be working in an organization when we didn't really have a plan and we're just seeing like oh yeah oh the story will unfold 
and that it works actually that's yeah the right thing always happens at the right time uh, it just brought me a huge huge confidence that this can just go on but yeah I've been kind of living with this kind of energy and principle since then and it's still flowing quite well <laughs> <laughs> and one of the projects that was sort of incubated by nomads is the learning hub Hanoi yeah can you share a bit about your adventure with the Learning Hub as well? Yeah, so one of the alumni from the program, his name is Huang, his parents had a great house in the, really in the center of Hanoi, and they, yeah, they gave the house to him, <laughs> and he, he really wanted to make something meaningful out of it and didn't really know what to do or how to do it. And then there was an, an idea in transforming this house into a kind of collective space for people working on meaningful projects. So for us, it meant to have a space where people can come and work on their own projects or people can host workshops uh, or attend workshops that would just make Hanoi a better place. And so, yeah, it's what we, we started to do. To uh, <laughs> Just started to kind of paint the wall and to buy chairs and table and to set up a Facebook page and a website. And then, yeah, people started to come and to work from there and to meet and to create connections together. And yeah, it became uh, month after month, just a place where you could, uh, you knew you could always find interesting people sharing the same value as you. There were always something during the week that will be happening, either like a workshop or a movie night or just a community dinner when you will find other people that share kind of the same value and Yeah, and also want to be with, with others that want to have positive impact in Hanoi. What is one great memory you have of this space that truly really represents your experience with the Learning Hub? Hmm. <laughs> 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 I keep thinking about the, the opening night. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess... You remember because you were here. <laughs> But yeah, we had been working for so long with Din Long and with Huang and with the whole team to prepare for the space. And we were doing like the dinner, like the inauguration dinner. And it was really great with all our friends and community. Everyone was there supporting us and it started raining. And somehow like it rained so much uh, that something happened in the fifth floor and the rain started to come out of the roof from the fifth floor right to the ground floor. And there was like, it was raining in the stairs, basically. And yeah, I don't know. And the whole community starting to, started obviously to help because we had to take all the water away. And I think it's kind of created a kind of sense of ownership of the whole community on the space. Because from the first day, you actually had to yeah take off your shoes and take the, the water out and wipe the floor. And then once it was done, like we could just all go back and yeah, go back to eating and singing music. But yeah, I think it was a, somehow a very funny, funny memory and great memory of this space. Even if at the moment I was not really laughing, but <laughs> now, like two years later, it's a great memory. Cool. So yeah, I mean, your experience in the second part of your life in Hanoi like sounds amazing. So why did you stop? I mean, why did you decide to come back to, to France? Yeah, yeah there were many, many reasons. But I think somehow like the community was also shifting to something different doing like for the nomads project I think there was an intention to do also more and more programs in Vietnamese 
first of all, which I find wonderful, but I could not really <laughs> help. Um, but no, apart from that, like to be honest, I think I had done, I, I had offered everything I could offer, and I knew somehow like the community could really go on without me. That I was obviously like I was helpful, but I, I was thinking that I was not maybe like yeah so necessary. I had given everything I could give, and yeah, maybe it was actually time for me to go somewhere else. And I was really curious of everything that was happening in social entrepreneurships. In, in Paris or in France in general because I didn't know th all these fields of programs for young people to know themselves better or programs for social entrepreneurship and all these fields I didn't know it at all when I left France and so I knew it was really really evolving and growing really strongly in France at that moment so somehow I think I also wanted to yeah to learn more uh, about this so Yeah, part of me wanted to be at the heart of what was going on in this field. And so, yeah, I left. It was a very, uh, <laughs> very long process of taking the decision. But yeah, I think it was, it was just time for me. I never saw myself to stay really forever in Vietnam. So yeah, it was, that was a good, good timing. So what do you miss the most about <laughs> Vietnam? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I could say food, but that would be like far too cliche as well. No, I think the community. I think I, I found lots of other communities since I came back and great, great people. But I think I never found such a, yeah, such, yeah, such a community and connection that could be so deep. Yeah, I, th I think so. Because the people I was working with and the people that were coming to our workshops, obviously they were really different from me culturally. And it was not the same kind of friendship that I have with people from my yeah from from my everyday life in France, but we had a yeah sense of connection that was really deep because of yeah the the care and the time we put into it, and all our practices are checking and check out and and all the way we used to work together and to be in conversation with each other. I think it grew something very specific. But yeah, I think I haven't been able to recreate this anymore with any yeah any other community. And now that you are in France, so how did you restart your life, basically? <laughs> like how? Because now you're doing so many things, but I guess you arrived, you don't know... You don't know... And you just said that you don't know like how is a social entrepreneurship ecosystem, you don't know much... I mean, I don't know, but I guess you didn't know a lot of people in the ecosystem either. So what what do you tell yourself? When I came back? Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was quite hard. I think I told myself I just had to really talk to as many people as possible and start to get an, an understanding of what was going on in France and where I could actually contribute the most. Like what I could contribute the most and who would be the people I would like to work with. Uh, so yeah, obviously I really didn't know where to start, but luckily <laughs> a great guy <laughs> connected me to a kind of like a co-working space for social entrepreneurs as well. Uh, this great, yeah, this great guy is actually Jin Long. <laughs> uh, it's a French Vietnamese place where people that share the same value about sustainability and sharing knowledge can come and work together at the same place. So yeah, I, I went there. Didn't know anyone, but I was like. Hi, <laughs> I'm kind of new and I just started to talk to people and explain what I had done in Vietnam, so what I was interested in. So program for young people, uh, social entrepreneurship, 
facilitation yeah practices for collective intelligence and just yeah people started to put me in touch creating connection i was having more and more conversations and i was coming back all the time and keeping yeah going on with conversation and at one point there are things that emerge <laughs> from all these conversations so yeah for me it was really a matter of time and time and energy and yeah putting yeah a lot of care and getting to know people getting to know projects and also and just offering my once again offering my contribution without even like any expectation of of getting paid or anything I was really not there yet I was more like saying okay I, I know a few stuff and if I can be helpful in your projects please let me know and yeah that's actually how I started to to work with some people that are now like that I am now building much much bigger project with but it really started with small contribution because I had time and willingness to to help mm, so yeah so you just started like okay just meeting a lot of people and just asking them how can I help you basically and Just from that, people started to trust you, started to work with you, and that's how you started everything. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, it's it can it can it can't it's yeah it may seem weird, but yeah, I think there was really something about trust. So I was really lucky that there was this one space in Paris when I was coming back, basically on an everyday basis. And meeting a lot of people that were working on a lot of projects. And yeah, I think trust is something that takes time to build. And you need to meet people one time, two times, three times, ten times to see each other every day. And you start to build kind of connection of proximity, of friendship, and very slowly, like to really build trust. And yeah, if you have something to offer, even small, you voice it and people start to, yeah, start to invite you. Well, at least they started to invite me into their work. It reminds me of a very famous quote. <laughs> Ask for what you need and offer what you can. <laughs> Which is your favorite quote, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's my favorite quote. Yeah, it's true. To really, yeah, to offer whatever you have to offer, but also to not to be afraid to say, hey, I have time, I have energy, I love your project. I think that you're someone that I appreciate to work with. So yeah, I would like to do this more. I think not to be afraid of actually saying this and sometimes it doesn't end up with anything and sometimes it's once again the right timing the right person the right project and something can come out of it I know that since then you've been working with many different projects including one which is like working with the Youth for Climate initiative yeah could you maybe share like what were the challenges of the Youth for Climate movement and how did you help them support them yeah So the Youth for Climate movement, it started with uh, the call of uh, Greta Thunberg, like the little, like the small, the little, <laughs> little. <laughs> yeah, the, the young, not little, the, uh, the young Sweden activist. So she started this movement of, it was called like Youth for Climate or Friday for Future, when she was inviting every high schoolers to go on strike on Fridays to ask for basically the adult world to really take responsibility for the climate emergency. So when she she voiced this call, um, movements started to be created in every country. And so obviously in France, it was also the case. And so there were like a lot of people in every cities in France that were starting to say, hey, let's create a Youth for Climate branch in our city and to organize the big strike 
so it started like this yeah one shot strike so all the lots of groups uh, in France were organizing the strike at the same day but in different cities and after the strike so the strike were in March 2019 and right after they say okay that's, this was great uh, we all did many stuff let's maybe like all meet somehow try to have uh, a few people from each city to come for a weekend And let's try to see if we can really organize our movement into something, yeah, now that we have all declared that we want to be like used for climate. And it's when I, I actually entered in the picture because so they were organizing this, this weekend in April 2019. So there were like 200 young people from all over the country that were gathering. And they wanted to know how to organize their movement now that the first strike had been a success. And I think the struggle was, yeah, how do you organize actually a movement? How do you decide what kind of movement you want? And it was very interesting because they, they knew they didn't want to make like a pyramidal hierarchical movement. So they knew they were sure of this, but they didn't really know what else, what else to do. And I think they lacked inspiration. And it's how actually I, I was able to contribute. So... I kind of on on the on the first day of the weekend on the on the Saturday I remember that we were doing workshops to help them see what was the strength of their movement and how they could make this better so like the fact that it was actually a decentralized horizontal movement was a real strength and here as well it was just able to empower them to go on with this direction because it was their movement were already horizontal citizen movement and to yeah make them aware that this was actually a good thing and that they didn't have to make it a pyramidal organization and so to empower them to continue in this direction so that was one way of, of contributing and we did with my uh, with my friends uh, when we were there and the other way was really trying to hold a space on the Sunday for them to be able to to voice Yeah, each of them, which area they would like to work on more. And so that some people could say, hey, I would like to start developing the communication or I would like to take care of organizing the local groups or I would like to work more on our strategy. Yeah, once again, to give them power to start building group projects. And yeah, starting really like starting an horizontal movement. So that was how I could help. <laughs> And yeah, so you you've been helping them like throughout the year actually even yeah. until now and yeah I guess you've seen a lot of evolution from the members from the movement do you have like uh, how to say yeah so you've been supporting them from that first weekend to even nowadays did you see the change in what happened with the Youth for Climate movement I know that you have a <laughs> Uh, like uh, not a favorite but <laughs> someone that you've been following closely <laughs> in the movement that really got empowered actually yeah. which is what you were looking for yeah I really saw the change somehow because I think they started with a lot of, of obviously energy because like the very first like the start of the movement was really beautiful there was this huge strike when there was like hundreds of thousands of young people in the streets so it started with this kind of energy And then there was also a lot of doubt and lack of self-confidence because they were like 15 or 16 and the years old, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, at, at first, I think they were kind of lacking, a lot of them were lacking legitimacy, saying, are we, are we legitimate to say like we are the youth for climate? And so at, at the start, there was this. And now after a year and a half, yeah, I think 
a lot of them have been in this movement for a year or more and what have happened is that this movement helped them to connect with a lot of other young people that think exactly like them they used to be kind of alone because they were always like the one little weirdo in each high school that is really caring about climate but thanks to this movement they have been able to connect with each other through like different high schools through different cities different parts of the country and so it's really like yeah help them to say okay we are actually I'm not alone we are like 10, 20, 100 a thousand that think the same and it really helped to grow their legitimacy to to say okay we, we we should do something we should speak up or we can actually do something and help the climate movement so yeah I think I've seen really that and for me it really went from to be like a very national movement to be very local so those there was like little groups in every city very small group of five like three five ten people in every city and so they were able to actually uh, gather in their own city and to to try to have impact at the local level so not only asking like the french government to change but more like asking their own cities or their own high school to do some specific changes to be like more climate friendly so yeah that's the shift i've seen Great. Is there another project that you've been contributing to and that you're proud of and want to share uh, with me? Yeah, I can talk about my other project that is called POA. I come from empowerment, <laughs> which is my favorite word, <laughs> obviously. Um, so POA is um, it's a group of people that, same as me, have been working for a few years with young people. So basically in this in this association we all have experience working with young people and like helping young people to know more about themselves and what they want to do in life and using collective processes like the thing I was describing for nomads like to have a group of 20 30 people being together and having conversation to know more about themselves. So yeah, we are a, a group of people that have this experience in many different contexts. And now, like, our purpose is to actually train as many organizations as possible to this kind of methodologies so that all the organizations, kind of, like, the universities, but also, like, the unemployment agencies or the social center, they can use this methodology, yeah, to work with the young people as they take care uh, of. Uh, and so, yeah, our purpose is really to spread this uh, kind of practices and methodologies because we believe what is really needed is to help as many young people as possible to know more about themselves and to, to become more capable of navigating a kind of chaos that the world is today. So that you need to actually have some self-knowledge, but also some like enough self-confidence to know that, okay, it's, it's all right if you have to reinvent your life every year, every other year. That's it's actually something that is okay. And it's really this mindset and these methodologies we are trying to spread in training uh, other organizations to do so. Great. It's super nice to see that, I mean, you know, you started your life being affected by the problem that you just mentioned, right? Yeah. Not really knowing where you are going sure. to. And then how everything connects to when you had your aha moment in Hanoi. And now you're just trying to support and empower as many young people as possible so that they don't go through what you have been through. Yeah, I think it's super nice to see that. And uh, yeah, now we've 
we've spoken about the past and the present, and now I have a question <laughs> about the future. How do you want people to remember you for, or to know you for? Which is, I guess, a question that you ask yourself a lot during Nomads anyway. <laughs> huh. No, I never ask myself this question, actually. I don't know what I want to be reminded for. Um... I think a lot of people will uh, rem remind me as the one that is hyperactive and working on tons of projects and making lots of things move forward, which is one side of me. But I think the other side is more like the kind of person that is able to invite you for a deep conversation of a few hours and to hold the space and to ask the right question and to create a space where... Yeah, some collective magic can happen. And to do that not only in kind of workshops, but on everyday life. I think my dream is more that we are able to do this, obviously during meetings, but also during dinners or chill out conversation, or to be able to bring this kind of depth and meaningfulness into, not into every moment, because I know it's it's okay if a lot of moments can be light and light and easy but also like yeah to be like the person that can bring this kind of of space and to hold it for yeah, for others to be able to have meaningful conversations and if you had to choose three hashtags that describe you and make people think about you what would be the three hashtags hmm. three hashtags to describe me yeah hmm uh <laughs> <laughs> I need a bit of time. <laughs> um, yeah, I think there is definitely a hashtag empowerment. <laughs> and the easy one, but yeah, I think there is. I never really talked about it this way, but yeah, there is. Um, I think for me, like, there is really something about an hashtag, like, kind of work and action, because I, yeah, it's really something that I work in the same sense of, yeah, making things happen. So, action. And yeah, maybe a hashtag somehow slowing down because even, yeah, to be able to have moments where, where it's slowed down. So hashtag empowerment, hashtag slowing down, hashtag action. <laughs> <laughs> cool. And yeah, so we are approaching the end of the discussion. So yeah, my last question would be, how can people support you in, I don't know, in your life purpose or what can people read or or access if they are interested in everything that you said. So, your question is what, like the resources I... Yeah, like uh, how can people support you in general, in your projects or in anything? And where can people find you if they want to find more about your work? Uh, not easily findable. <laughs> But online, I guess it can, it can be easily uh, found on... Yeah, on Facebook. Uh, I post a lot on Medium, but I post in French right now, so that's, <laughs> that's really helpful. Yeah, they can definitely visit me in Normandy <laughs> at El Capitan in this uh, co-living co and co-working space in countryside that I've, I'm living there now, and I uh, hope to welcome as, as many people as possible. Yeah, and I think just to, not to support me, but to support the work I'm doing, I think to, yeah, keep questioning <laughs> basically the, keep questioning the path you are in and to try to have as many conversations as possible with with others to keep questioning this so I think that would be that would make my work easier <laughs> when I was doing this by themselves 
<laughs> Great, yeah. I think that's the best way to conclude this. So thank you so much, Anna. Yeah, thanks for the invitation. <laughs> And yeah, um, yeah, I'm not sure how to... <laughs> thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much, Anna. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the story of Anne Loch. If you enjoyed this episode, please do tell her directly. And if you can speak French, you can have a look at her Medium articles about participative leadership. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Lifeline on your favorite platform and to share this episode with your friends if you liked it. In the next episode, you will be meeting Koyo, a visual artist who aims to develop empathy and understanding between people through storytelling. Here is an extract and see you next time. What I want to focus on is storytelling, so I had to let go of the idea that it has to look beautiful. No, it doesn't have to look beautiful. The same with the music video I made for Mademoiselle. I, I kind of thought of giving up at some point because I thought it looked so ugly. <laughs> I really think it was ugly. But then I told myself it doesn't have to look perfect. Most of the time I draw something that I'm proud of. And then 10 minutes later, I look back at that and I think, oh my God, this stuff is ugly. <laughs> and I think we all have to just grind through it. And I truly believe that even Da Vinci had this. Like... We all think whatever we made is not there yet. And then we keep striving to make better stuff. And we, we are rarely very satisfied with what we made, I think. I just really, really hope that if there's any artists out there who think they're not good enough or they don't have proper gears or proper tools, they should still make their artwork regardless. And I just wanted to encourage that in my video, I think. <laughs>